Welcome to Mind Matters News. Uh, this is Mike Egner, uh, and thank you for joining us. I have the uh, pleasure and privilege to uh, chat today with a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Joshua Ferris. Uh, Joshua is um, the Humboldt Experience Prof Senior Fellow of the Ruhr Universitat Bochum, uh, and uh, he's an international advisor for Perichoresis, uh, the theological journey of Emmanuel, the, the theological journal of Emmanuel University, and he's the associate editor of philosophical and theological studies for the Journal of Biblical and Theological Studies, and associate editor for the European Journal of Religion. So he knows a lot about theology and uh, religion, and he he has a new book. <clears throat> the book is entitled "Creation: uh, The Creation of Self." Uh, which is an absolutely fascinating topic. Um, and uh, so welcome, Joshua, and uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. What is your book about? <laughs> I'm very, very interested in it. Yeah, good question. So uh, uh, there's, um, <clears throat> let me give some brief context, and then I can give some more specific context. But it's, uh, as the title suggests, uh, The Creation of Self, A Case for the Soul. It's a defensive a view of personhood, that uh, requires that we are, um, uh, as persons, we are soul substances, we are immaterial substances, uh, something uh, you and I have talked about before, you've talked about on other shows, and we can talk about that again, but it's a defense of the soul. Uh, the person is a soul, and um, in the book, I develop a series of arguments that lend itself to a common view within um, kind of uh, a minority of literature that's out there in the philosophy of mind uh, that has uh, theistic implications or uh, theological uh, implications. And it is uh, the view of uh, theistic dualism um, that uh, there is this affinity between the fact of our being immaterial substances and the fact of uh, a God, that these are so uh, closely intertwined and intimately related, um, which harkens back really to uh, of course, Plato, but also the Augustinian tradition and uh, later traditions uh, leading up to the Cambridge Platonist in different ways, uh, and and to Descartes when he talks about the nature of the soul as having this intimate relationship to God, and uh, so that intuition that's uh, a part of the broader uh, dualist literature, a theistic dualist literature, is something that I'm picking up on and developing and making a more specific argument for a particular brand of. Um, of the soul that I call uh, neo-Cartesianism. So it's broadly within the Cartesian tradition, although it doesn't hold to all the views or the particularities of what uh, Descartes held himself about the nature of science or even the nature of um, some of the more controversial views about the mind-body relationship. But it is uh, arguably within that tradition that it gives credence to the, the nature of first-person authority, uh, first-person authority is having some sort of connection to um, metaphysics or uh, metaphysical con uh, metaphysical uh, notions, and particularly this, this broader notion about uh, the soul's relationship to God, which really uh, Descartes is just picking up on Augustine and um, his tradition that there is this overlap that when we think about God, um, there, uh, or when we think about the soul, vice versa, we're thinking about the other. We're thinking about God when we think about the soul. When we think about the soul, uh, we're thinking about God. And um, in order to understand God, we uh, need to understand something about the soul, which is a tradition that uh, John Calvin in uh, the Reformed theological tradition picks up on as well. In that way, he is very, very much Augustinian and um, 
kind of consistent with the sort of later Cartesian tradition that picks up on this idea. And so uh, situated in the broader science and religion discussions, I take up this this notion of theistic dualism, which I think has a lot of plausibility, especially right now as consciousness is being redebated in the, the wider culture, uh, not just in academia, not just in science, not just in uh, philosophy or theology, but in the wider culture. There are these questions, fascinating, important questions about the nature of personhood, uh, consciousness in relation to personhood, and um, uh, what it is that makes us uh, who we are, uh, what it is that makes me me and you you. And uh, so I actually uh, stumbled across uh, your co-host, uh, Robert Marks. I need to actually pick up his book because it looks like from a different vantage point, he's making a similar argument on the non-computable you. I'm making this argument that there is something not only intuitive, but that can be motivated through um, more dense sort of uh, philosophically rigorous arguments, that there is something about the particularity of you that makes you you and that cannot um, is not computable. So uh, this obvious has obvious ramifications for a wide set of issues right now when we're talking about artificial intelligence and the nature of transhumanism and um, the more fundamental question about personhood. And so I make an argument that there is something about the particularity of you that is not captured is certainly uh, not explained by computation, but even more fundamentally, this this broader problem of um, a physical or biological parts or uh, physical particles that are comprised in some complex arrangement. But there is something else about you that makes you you, that captures the nature of subjectivity. Um, and uh, so that's, uh, in short, that's... Uh, that's the argument that I'm making in the creation of, of self. Uh, it's this idea that there is a soul and that persons are souls and that, uh, that there is this particularity notion that can't be accounted for, uh, certainly in physics, uh, or in, in, in physicalism, which takes it that, um, things are explained by uh, studying the objects of physics or the underlying particles within physics. Um, that there is something else that's needed to explain these things. And so I set this in the backdrop in conversation with uh, what I'm calling, and uh, maybe we'll talk about this more because I think this is really what's undergirding some of the, the discussions right now as we're, we're thinking about AI and other things, um, this uh, underlying ontology of, of naturalism. And... Um, uh, there's been some recent developments in naturalism and some interesting uh, developments away from sort of older naturalistic views toward newer and arguably better naturalistic views of persons. But all of them seem to come short of um, supplying an explanation of the person. And, um, and it seems that there must be something like a um, divine agent or an intelligent agent that makes sense of or brings about the um, this this uh, person that is you that seems to be more of a singularity ra rather than a a generable or uh, explained by generable properties or uh, is explained by a regular law like process uh, and so um, this older theistic notion that's embedded in the Augustinian tradition and Cartesian tradition uh, seems to be right and so I flesh that out in context of these 
wider naturalistic views that are getting lots of attention right now, not just in academia, but in the wider uh, cultural climate as these issues are, are, are being picked up in unique and fresh ways. I think the, the, the neo-Cartesian view that you're describing um, is very appealing uh, and has a great deal to say for it. Um, it raises particular questions, um, and three of them come to mind immediately. One is, what does that mean regarding the metaphysics of nature? That is, that uh, I, I've always thought that one of the great weaknesses of the Cartesian worldview was the understanding of matter as a simple extension in space uh, and a kind of a doing away with a hylomorphic uh, perspective of Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas. Um, I always thought that that was a, a, a real weakness. And, and it was one thing that kept me away from the Cartesian view was, was the notion that the metaphysics to me didn't seem to be all that strong. Uh, the second Cartesian question would be, how does the soul interact with the body? Uh, and the third question is, how does the soul interact with God? And conversely, God with the soul. Um, but uh, what, what do you think about those questions? Yeah, I think uh, the metaphysics of, of nature, um, neo-Cartesian insight that, I, that I'm picking up on, actually um, can fit with um, potentially with a, a variety of different um, metaphysical views about nature more broadly. Um, I think the 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 you have recent Cartesians who would call them some would call themselves Cartesians, others would not. They're certainly substance dualist in that they affirm that there are two distinct property bearers and um, there are two distinct types of uh, or characteristic uh, features that describe those two property bearers uh, that um, make them two distinct types of substances. Um, hence the name substance dualism. But um, I think uh, that. Um, more fundamental Cartesian insight is that uh, there's something about the nature of the body that is uh, insufficient for articulating uh, a personhood or uh, getting at a personal identity. And so there, there is some uh, credence given to certainly sort of a, what would be a sort of epistemic Cartesianism that um, somebody like Richard Fermatin uh, develops in, in his um, He's a famous epistemologist who develops a sort of Cartesian epistemology that, or foundationalist epistemology that is very Cartesian in that we have these foundational ideas that begin with, with phenomenal consciousness. And by way of phenomenal consciousness, we can know certain things about the nature of the body. And, uh, but it's only mediated knowledge by, by way of this more fundamental phenomenal knowledge. And so um, uh, that's, uh, that's his sort of foundation by which he uh, can arrive at further knowledge about both um, mental properties as well as uh, bodily properties or physical proper, uh, properties of physical substances. And, um, well, that's just fundamentally Cartesian. And I think there's something about that that's, that's right and certainly that uh, I pick up on in uh, my, uh, when I develop my argument for the self as being this, this kind of thing that uh, doesn't find a, a sufficient designation in bodily properties or properties at all, but must um, be rooted in something more fundamental about the, the the particular substance in question. Yeah. So, with respect to the metaphysics of nature, I think it it's um, could be adaptable to a variety of different uh, metaphysical pictures of nature. What it's not adaptable with certainly is um, naturalistic views of of 
the, the mind and of agency. And uh, those are kind of the object of criticism in the book, sort of particularly uh, physicalist views, emergentist views, and even more popular right now, or gaining more popularity, is panpsychism. One of the critiques of, of, of the Cartesian position, and I, I don't mean to make this into a, a, a critique, because again, I, I think there are quite a few strengths uh, of the Cartesian position, but one of the cr- critiques has has historically been that by separating the race cogitans and the race extensa uh, in, in, as being different substances uh, and describing uh, the material world as essentially matter extended in space, one um, kind of gave rise to modern materialism and naturalism because um, while Descartes, obviously, and those who followed in his, in his footsteps, did in fact view uh, mankind as as having a dual nature, if you uh, deny the reality of the race cogitans, the, the race extensa that you're left with looks an awful lot like the materialist understanding of the world. Um, so it's, it's almost as if Descartes let materialism in the door um, by 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 his metaphysics. Uh, do you think that's a that's a fair perspective? Yeah, I actually, I think you brought this up before, but uh, I haven't heard you frame it quite that way. I don't think so. That's interesting. Yeah, so I, I think um, I think uh, later interpreters and um, those who came after Descartes appropriated him in that way, and certainly um, there's a complex. Uh, discussion modern philosophy uh, following from Spinoza, who takes the same sort of view of substance that Descartes does, but he extends it in a way um, to a kind of, um, well, some interpret him as as extending it to a sort of naturalistic conclusion uh, that I think later naturalists and physicalists um, pick up on, and they see uh, the mind as as somehow wholly a product of or a feature of um, material processes. But the different, I don't, I, I, I think uh, his, his sort of radical reductionism is, um, uh, lends itself potentially to that sort of critique where people uh, is at least historically have taken him in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think um, that it would be fair that he would uh, affirm that. But I think certainly historically he has been taken that way and, mm-hmm. and um, he has opened he has opened the sort of Pandera's box and um, and created, arguably, many would say he's created as many problems as he solved. Right, uh, right, right. And, and that's, uh, that's, so I, mean, I think that's fair. I mean, when, when in some way, and you know, Ed Fezzer, a philosopher, uh, an Aristotelian Thomistic philosopher, has argued that um, Descartes kind of created the mind-body problem. That that that, that what he pose wasn't a solution to it because it was actually quite nicely solved <laughs> before Descartes, um, but that Descartes kind of created the problem. Um, and and I have a lot of sympathy for that perspective, although um, the, the, the one aspect of Cartesian dualism, or two aspects, I think, that really I do find attractive. Uh, one is that it, it's, it's an absolutely beautiful way of understanding near-death experiences. I mean, let's face it. I mean, if uh, Descartes knew about near-death experiences, he would just say, "I told you so." You know, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> there certainly seems to be a soul that leaves the body and is a separate substance. And the second thing is that I, I've always found the 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 um, Aristotelian Thomistic viewpoint a bit lacking in its 
explanation, as I understood, of the spiritual aspect of man. I, I think it's a very powerful ex explanation of the human soul, except for the spiritual aspects, which I always found difficult to pull out of it. But that may just be me. So there, there are great strengths, but there are also weaknesses. Um, how, how does the soul interact with the body in the, in the neo-Cartesian view? Yeah, let me answer that. And let me just say uh, briefly with, uh, to Ed Ferris's critique, I think, I think Rene Descartes was dealing with the atomists of his day, and he was drawing out um, what later became known as the hard problem of consciousness, uh, you know, famously uh, brought out by uh, David Chalmers. But I think um, David Chalmers was really just highlighting a problem that Descartes already picked up on in terms of his irreducible cogito that doesn't um, seem to be irreducible to um, physical objects or physical bodies. Uh, and uh, the solution he provides, David Chalmers and others in his sort of naturalistic or secular culture, uh, don't seem to be much better alternatives to the substance dualism, the, the kind of radical substance dualism that uh, Descartes advanced. So this does raise a question about the, uh, the relation of mind-body that you're putting forward. And I think... Um, the intuitive uh, kind of, I think it's more of a, I'm not even sure if it's a problem, it's more of a challenge of being able to conceive of how uh, these two irreducible substances could interact. Um, the famous interaction problem is raised against um, Descartes' view and others like it, that there is no conceivable way in which uh, these property bearers could interact at all. And so that uh, raises uh, other questions down the line or implications for how it is that they relate one to another. And uh, I think that state, um, that sort of objection, um, although it has a long history of uh, a developed history of objecting to Descartes' view and others like it, I think it's an overstated objection. Um, has William Hasker, who's, who's a substance dualist himself, but not a Cartesian substance dualist, at least not in any I mean, he may be in a very, very deviant sense of Cartesian. He affirms a kind of emergent dualism that uh, the mind emerges from a sufficiently complex brain and central nervous system. He says uh, that the interaction problem is the most overstated objection to substance dualism in the history of philosophy. Um, I don't know if that's right, but I think um, I, it, <laughs> it depends on the day and it depends on who I'm reading. The one way to demonstrate that it's the most overstated problem would, would be to solve it. And um, and I haven't really seen a good solution to it. That is, that, you know, that a lot of substance dualists say, "Oh, it's overstated." Okay, then yeah. then how do you solve the interaction problem? Right, right. I, I think that's a good point. I think it it gets at a, a related problem of. Um, it seems like the interaction problem isn't just a problem for Cartesians. It's a problem for anyone who affirms the irreducibility of these two types of properties. Even if one is right. trying to affirm right. something like property right. dualism without right. substance dualism, exactly. you're still going to have that interaction problem. You're still going to have to supply some sort of explanatory bridge between the two. And most Cartesians today, many of them would just say, well, there's just a singular relation that just exists, that God right. sets up the interaction between the two substances. And he, uh, yeah. You know, the, the, uh, but the, 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 the one explanation, and, and that's fine, and that may very well be true. But it, 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 it's kind of unsatisfying. You, you kind of like to see the interaction problem solved. 
in a, in a natural way. Uh, I don't mean natural without God, but I mean in a way that just fits into nature like like uh, like a puzzle piece, rather than just God having to sort of come in and do it. Um, but the one way I've heard the interaction problem solved that I, th I thought was very interesting and satisfactory was just to say that that the interaction um, between the soul and the body is is a matter of formal cause, not a matter of efficient cause. That is, it, it's not a matter of soul billiard balls bumping into body billiard balls. Uh, it's formal cause, and formal cause can involve causation uh, with immaterial things and material things. That's what a form is, is an immaterial thing. So I, I found that actually a rather satisfactory way of resolving the interaction problem. The problem with that is that you have to resort to hylomorphism to solve it. And having to resort to hylomorphism sort of takes you out of the Cartesian metaphysical world. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I think this is um, this has been the sort of objection before. I, I, I um, causation when it comes to causation, I'm not sure either way. But um, you could be right. It, you could be right about hylomorphism. I, I've just I, I haven't been convinced yet. But um, but again, I'm also not up on my causation literature. I'm not an, an expert on causation. There, there's an analogy um, in chemistry to this that I've, I've I've always found very very compelling and very fascinating, and it's the 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 idea of chirality, um, the the idea that there are molecules um, in the chemical world uh, that are mirror images of one another, so they're identical in every respect except one is the other in a mirror, uh, and their physical properties can be dramatically different. That is, there are some molecules, I don't I can't think of the name of them off the top of my head, but there are some molecules that are um, perfectly harmless or even beneficial substances, nutrients, in one mirror image. And in the other mirror image, they're, uh, uh, they're a poison. They'll, uh, they'll kill you. Um, and there is no material difference between the two molecules. As they're made of the same atoms, and they are connected the same way. They're, but they have different forms. You know, they're mirror forms. And so clearly there's a there's an immaterial formal causation going on there that makes one arrangement of matter beneficial, the other arrangement of matter poisonous. Um, and you could see that formal causation is a way of linking immaterial things and material things. But again, what, once you start talking formal causation, you're really into Aristotle's world. Couldn't you uh, affirm something like Augustine? I mean, Augustine, it, it's been argued that when it comes to material nature. Now, this is a bit, um, I'm stretching myself here a bit, but when Augustine, I mean, Augustine's been, um, some have called Augustine a hylomorphist as well, uh, when it comes to his metaphysics of nature. Um, now, it's not worked out the way that it is with uh, Thomas Aquinas, but um, he certainly seems to describe these sorts of ideas uh, uh, as, as having some sort of potency that um, gives rise to some sort of formal organization that would make sense of, that would only be made sense of um, by way of this um, formal idea that, that, that he, uh, that minds uh, give to nature. So some Augustinian idealists have, have affirmed this view that there is some sort of formal causation, but it, it, it reduces to the mind or it, the mind and its ideas. Would that be uh, yeah, sure, satisfactory? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, and in fact, I, I think the the idealist view in general has a whole lot to say for 
I think it's a fascinating view. Um, and um, so but my, 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 my metaphysical beef with Descartes is just his sort of general abandonment of hylomorphism. I think as I said, it, it opens the door to a kind of a crude materialism, which obviously wasn't Descartes' intention, but um, it, it, it hasn't had good, uh, good consequences. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so actually, I, I would say there there is a um, this is getting into sort of more of te uh, technical interpretation of Descartes. There was an article about um, his uh, interpreting his letters back and forth with uh, the Princess uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth of uh, Bohemia, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, his famous letters back and forth, he actually does affirm hylomorphism, but he he qualifies it quite significantly uh, when he's talking about nature with her and bodies. But he, he does say, I am a hylomorphist in that letter, mm -hmm. but he, but he will say, but I'm not a hylomorphist in the way that Aristotle was. Sure. And so he's distancing himself from the whole Aristotelian tradition and, and trying to say something that might be more akin, although it's not clear in his more technical writings, uh, maybe he's being a bit cagey there because there are political things at stake, obviously, sure. in his um, discussions there. But he does affirm hylomorphism in various places, uh, and that one in, in particular when he's talking to the princess. So maybe it's just a political move. But I'm more sympathetic to the idea that he's actually trying to salvage something in hylomorphism to make sense of his metaphysics of nature. But it might be made better sense of by some sort of Augustinian idealism or Barclayan idealism to make mm -hmm. sense of these sort of formal, uh, the formal relationship between uh, souls and bodies. Sure, sure. Well, Joshua, I thank you so much. That's absolutely fascinating. Uh, we will continue our discussion in the next podcast. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, and uh, please uh, stay with us for uh, our next podcast. Uh, this is Mike Egner for uh, Mind Matters News. This has been Mind Matters News. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.